From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today and yes, our show is live and it's even a couple minutes late so we're having a little bit of problem getting started uh, and therefore I'm not 100% sure if everybody is on yet. I've got to double check if we have the chat window working. Hopefully that is going, Pete, and you might want to send a quick chat if both Margie and our guest have been able to join us. But being live, you will be able to ask questions or add comments to the show, either using the chat window or calling into our producer. I'll give you more details shortly. And, of course, now I'm getting my uh, feedback here, which I've got to shut off. So I'm hearing myself. I don't know if you're hearing me as well, but it really is annoying. So my apologies. I didn't have time to get that shut off. There's a way to do that. And, unfortunately, it's never simple. So I think what I'd have to do is... uh, uh, learn to put up with us until I can figure that out. Uh, but anyway, we're continuing our series on asset-based lending, which you also know as collateral-based lending. Uh, we will not be introducing another form of asset-based lending. Instead, get more detail on the most popular market for asset-based learning, residential real estate. We did a separate show on real estate as collateral to get lower interest rates rather than on unsecured loans. Now, for the last nine or ten years, the single biggest excuse for avoiding real estate was the money lost during the crash we experienced during the Great Recession. That is, of course, a violation of the first commandment of investing. Buy low, sell high. The result has been the same as for those who avoided investing in stock markets since 2008. Most investors know the housing market has improved since then, but few know how it looks today. Frankly, I hear many investors are expecting the next big real estate bubble to burst very soon. Despite the fact that 2007 was the first major decline in housing prices since the 1950s. Our guest today for this housing market update is the undisputed expert on residential in this area and is well-versed on the housing markets throughout the U.S. If you haven't listened to our prior shows with Michael, you may expect him to talk about how the world housing market is doing. Well, there is no such thing. There's also not, no such thing as a U.S. housing market. There are only low housing markets. If you've heard there were uh, that maybe they're bulldozing entire city blocks in Detroit or some other northwestern city on excess supply of vacant houses, I can assure you that is not representative of the housing market in San Francisco, Seattle, or Scottsdale. Before we get started, I need to introduce my co-host today, who is a realtor in the Phoenix Scottsdale area as well. Also works with uh, today's sponsor, BI Solutions Corp. She's Mar- Margie. Welcome, Margie. Hi. Are you on with us? I am here. Okay, good. So I just have you a little bit too soft because of my echo, which I haven't figured out yet here. I know I do this every single uh, year. I'm having to come in from overseas, and I'll, I'll think Okay, but you can hear. Are you hearing my echo? Or are you you you're okay? You're okay. So I'm just losing you every once in a while. Ooh, that's not good. Okay, so connection problems. And that I will explain. That 
the reason Margie is joining us. And Margie, make sure you pronounce your last name. It's spelled Z-Y-L-D, but pronounce it so everybody understands, knows exactly where it is. Certainly it's Wilder. Swilder. So you kind of put in a W in that sound so as well. Z-Y-L-D. Oh, a long W, yes. <laughs> long W. And uh, so welcome, Margie. And uh, are you ready for with your questions for Michael? I am ready. Good. I should add that having Margie co-host is partially due to her knowledge in this area and partially as a safety net if my international line drives, decides to drop off or really does break up a lot. I happen to be in Europe this week, and we have had that happen in the past, so thanks, Margie, for helping us out in this, uh, in this show. Glad to assist. Whether you're on the U.S. West Coast or Arizona, where Margie and our guest are, you're sipping a cup of coffee or tea on the U.S. East Coast, and you're getting ready for lunch, or in Europe where I am, and just ending your workday, you're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the archive of the show, I'm sure you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. And certainly we know all the investors and realtors in this area will benefit even more. So... With that, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, I'll remind you we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. I like to start each show with a quote, and the first that came to mind related to investors who are worried about the next housing market bubble. I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. This quote is from Mark Twain. And I'll repeat it one more time. I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Although I don't know if he was an investor, it certainly applies to investing, and I've been guilty of this too. How about you, Margie? Have you ever been guilty of it? Indeed. <laughs> I think most of us have, and it, it does hurt our portfolio performance. Well, today is Monday, July 25th, 2016. It is 9.08, I think, in uh, Arizona. And 1808 in continental Europe, it's the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. And as we mentioned, have Margie's Wilder, who is on as our co-show host today. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't re- reminder the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook, where we post reminders. Just connect with the Ronald, put together as a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you join us each time we air, but if you miss a show and uh, maybe even have missed ones with uh, Michael before, just go to www.wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show, as I mentioned. I recommend using the chat window below the radio player, and I'm not seeing it. Pete, maybe it's my end. I'm going to try to uh, refresh here. I've got a little slower internet than the average person, probably. But uh, with that, I should have a chat window. There should be a chat window. Yeah, it's connecting underneath the radio player. I suggest that we have a lot of questions or comments, uh, a lot lot of questions that we need to deal with. Uh, so that uh, calling in might might slow things down. But uh, feel free to call in as well if you need it, 917-384-162. And after you do that, dial 1 to reach our producer. Now, since our last show, the U.S. equity markets are, uh, well, actually have been pretty exciting. They're up over 2% and hit seven new record highs. 
The U.S. market's off to a negative start today. Asia was flat. Europe, we just closed, was, uh, is mixed with the U.K. down. And uh, that, by the way, is a little subtle humor there. We'll see if you catch that one. And Brazil is down as well. Now, our guest today, as I mentioned, to provide this housing market update is Michael Orr, the founder of the Cromford Report in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area. He holds a master's degree in mathematics from the University of Oxford's Oxford, excuse me, of course, in England, and spent 31 years in the computer industry. Michael then ventured into Arizona real estate in 2002, and by 2008, had partnered with the regional MLS to create the Cromford Report. And with his math background and pension for statistics, he added seven more years of historical data to help him see the trends. Then, from 2012 until early 2016, in addition to running the Cromford Report, he was also the director of the Real Estate Center at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University, ASU does locals. So many of our listeners have seen him interviewed on local channels, but I think that title was just too long for his business cards. Let's give a warm radio welcome to returning guest, Michael Orr. Welcome, Michael, and I thank you for joining us today. Good morning. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Hopefully you caught my humor there on the uh, you could be down. Uh, we tend to have a little bit of that uh, fun in Europe as to whether UK is part of it. And with the Brexit, that makes it even more fun. But anyway, I gave a brief overview of your background, Michael. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Uh, I tell people I'm a housing analyst who specializes in the Phoenix area and uh, tries to spot trends uh, before anybody else has seen them. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's a fair description. Uh, Whoops. That's an interesting point. I just muted the... uh, I don't know why I just did that. I just tried to cut my sound off, so I'm not hearing myself. But anyway, it keeps happening, so I will uh, bear with me. I'll try to ignore myself. But anyway, can I safely assume that a terrorist attack in France or an attempt to overthrow the government in Turkey will have no impact on housing other than maybe a short-term impact in those specific markets? Uh, Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption, Uh, although we tend to spend a lot of – give a lot of attention to things like terrorist terrorist attacks. Uh, They have virtually no impact on the housing market in fact, I would say that the things that have most effect on the housing market are things we pay very little attention to, like demographic changes, which tend to happen very slowly over time, and therefore they don't get to make headline news. Okay, so that would be one of those that uh, – it's not in the news, but uh, but demographic would be one of those we should pay attention to. Okay, sorry, Margie. That's okay. What types of global events do you see having any kind of an impact on our housing? Um, For example, at some of your seminars, you've mentioned low commodity prices as a concern. Well, yes. um, Last year, low commodity prices seem to be getting ever lower, although we've seen some recovery in quite a few of them uh, this year. Uh, They have not had a significant impact on the Arizona market. In fact, um, they're probably a positive effect on the market in Phoenix because we're not really a producer of those commodities to any great extent, but they will have some impact on places that are very dependent on, say, oil and gas or coal or uh, other raw materials. I think the sort of uh, global uh, events that you asked about that have an effect are those that uh, affect confidence and, in particular, interest rates. So uh, there will be a minor effect 
on interest rates and therefore the, the housing market in Phoenix for events like the Brexit that you were referring to earlier, which has tended to uh, improve. Okay, we dig into this, would you share with our listeners how they'd contact you and learn more and the Cromford Reform? What's, first of all, the website and an email, if you're willing to give that? The website is www.cromfordreport.com, and Cromford is spelled C-R-O-M-F-O-R-D. And my email is mike at cromfordreport.com. Okay, easy enough. Now, in the intro, I mentioned the U.S. stock market is near a record high. It actually just crossed seven new record highs recently. And the U.S. bond market has been peak levels as well. Do you see any, any indication that investors are starting to rotate from those assets into real estate to hedge their portfolios against possibly those dropping? Uh, no, I don't. And I'm a little surprised. Um, normally, when the stock market is hitting highs, then the uh, higher end of the real estate market is usually having a great time. And um, this was true last year when we hit the peak around June last year. We just come off um, three months of extremely positive uh, signals in the luxury market in Phoenix, Scottsdale and the surrounding areas. This year, the upper end of the market is pretty quiet and uh, in fact, it's least well-performing part of the market. So I guess that's uh, slightly puzzling, and it's certainly not um, what we normally see when the when the stock market is doing well. Okay. Or evidently somebody is not worried about it yet or not feeling enough of the effects to, to affect uh, the, mar- the high-end market, as you mentioned. Uh, or maybe there are other effects that are swamping it, and I think that's probably the, okay. the main thing. Okay. When you joined us last, and that happened to be May of 2015, by the way, I asked about whether the low oil prices, which uh, which obviously are one of the commodities, were having impact on some of the markets. You weren't seeing any noticeable impact at the time. How about North Dakota or Houston, Texas, for example, now a year or so uh, longer in those uh, low uh, prices and declining production? Well, now we've seen uh, things slow down uh, in some of those areas, but not really go into a a steep decline. I guess with the oil prices bouncing back a bit um, to the 40s or even for a little while into the 50s, things are not quite so bad uh, in that industry. Uh, Houston, up to, up to the uh, problems in the oil and gas, have been extremely strong market, a lot of people moving there. And although there's been quite a lot of uh, job losses, the, the, the sort of um, flow of people into the area for other industries such as healthcare has meant that we still have a pretty low supply overall. Uh, right now it has 3.7 months of supply up from about 3.2, but that's nowhere near excessive. So what we're seeing is price uh, changes are fairly modest. In fact, the average price for Houston in June was uh, down 0.8%, but we're not seeing any serious decline because it's a much more diversified uh, a city than uh, it used to be. Probably the biggest example of a declining market would be a smaller area like Midland, Odessa, where oil and gas is the predominant industry. And uh, when I check there, the average prices have dropped 7% year over year as of May. Uh, but that's after a period of 25 years of very stable and uh, consistent growth. So um, you could count that as a correction. If the oil production stays low, then I think house prices in Midland Odessa are likely to go down quite a bit. 
North Dakota, it's harder to get information about North Dakota, but that used to be a, you know, just a two month, two years ago, booming for real estate. And now it's gone very quiet. Interesting. Okay. Uh, now, unless the situation changed, you, you won't be voting in the U.S. elections uh, coming up. So I can safely ask you if you see any impact uh, on the housing market, uh, depending on which of the candidates wins. Well, I guess um, I could answer that with another question is, uh, you know, one of the candidates has uh, uh, proposed a quite significant reduction in the population of the Phoenix area by uh, by one means or another, um, getting all the people who are here without documentation to move back to where they came from. And my question to you would be, what would you imagine would happen to the housing market if, say, 400,000 people were to leave the Phoenix area? Right. Well, then, then obviously dramatically down, negative impact, so no, no doubt about it. So I guess we're just I saying think particularly that policies. would scare a lot of landlords, yes. Sure, sure. And I'm sure it would affect other markets as well. Okay, fair enough. And uh, I should use this uh, pause here for a second to remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealthy A Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I'm. Uh, and uh, who, who do we have with us co-hosting? I'm Margie Swalder, your co-host. Great. Look forward to having uh, each of our listeners join us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some prior shows, like the prior ones in the series or the ones with Michael Orr in the past, want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on www.wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email uh, reminder of the shows, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. Try that again. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, no spaces, on Twitter or Facebook. Let's thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix area, for helping us put together and share this information with you, help you be a better informed asset-based lender. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, and I will try to pay more attention to listening to uh, Michael. Well, I haven't been paying attention to the chat window, but there's a chat window below the radio player. I recommend that for comments or questions. We're providing a housing market update, which we're uh, discussing with Michael Orr, founder of the Cromford Report, and the expert on the housing market in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. He's a mathematician and worked in the computer industry, working with companies which obviously are less known than the Cromford Report, like IBM. Amdahl, Splash Technology, and the Santa Cruz operation. Uh, Michael, last year we talked about how real estate is local, so we won't ask, won't ask you about how housing will be doing in the world, but I'm hoping you can give us some insights into which areas of the U.S. are, are, are doing, especially U.S. prices, or where they're rising and uh, maybe where they're declining. Yeah, um, I would say that the, the top five States for house prices over the last year have been in Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Nevada, and Utah. So uh, all in the western part of the country, and particularly those that have been considered very attractive to the millennial generation. Um, the top state of all, Oregon, saw an 11% uh, rise in home prices. Uh, from May 2015 to May 2016. And at the other end of the table, we've got uh, three states that actually went backwards a little bit, not by very much. In fact, Connecticut went down by 0.9%. New Jersey and Pennsylvania just very slightly negative. 
So those are all up in the northeast. And um, so that's really the trend at the moment. A lot of that's driven by population changes. You know, the fundamental driver of housing, of course, is population movement. And so a significant population growth and um, you know, relatively weak housing supply or new housing creation tends to be the thing that pushes pr prices up the most. I say he just answered both of my questions. <laughs> well, how many? I, let me let me go a little bit deeper though on that one. I was going to ask, and hoping Margie was going to ask, any that are kind of over five percent increases. When you talk about you know the biggest increases, are they you know one two percent or how how big are we talking in those? Oh yeah, well, um, well even Arizona is over five percent. That's currently rated at five point eight percent. That's in tenth uh, position, so we're actually in the top twenty percent. Um, and the others that are over 5%, I, I look at this as 18 states out of the, I, well, I count wow. 51 because we've got D.C. in there too. So 18 of them have got 5% or more. And um, I gave you the top five. The others that are doing pretty well, Florida, Idaho, Texas, California, Tennessee, Michigan, Georgia, Rhode Island, Montana, South Carolina, Minnesota, and Hawaii. They're all 5% or more. So that's a pretty good list. And uh, the housing market has, has been pretty strong over the last 12 months. How about on the decline side? Any of them, you know, <laughs> that's, I think, pretty well, dramatic. They, the, I think there are three that have actually gone backwards. There are several that are sort of below um, or, or at or below 2%. And some of these are those that have been affected by the uh, decline of the oil and gas industry because of price decline. So we've got Oklahoma. Uh, we've got North Dakota, but we've also got uh, Vermont, Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware all going uh, up, but only by, you know, not much more than the, the rise of inflation. So those are those are relatively uh, underperforming the rest of the U.S. Okay, so underperforming, but uh, you know the decline, the increases are. You know, I've been told in the past that uh, markets, uh, real estate, never goes up more than two or three percent. So, uh, I guess that uh, myth is is kind of shot. Well, uh, you know, we're we're coming back from a significant bust, and so um, you know, it's not unusual that after the uh, during the recovery, prices should go back faster than average. But we're seeing some continued. Um, inflation in home prices and and um, increases in rental prices because across the whole country we've built fewer homes there are fewer homes available compared with the rise in the population so some of the states that we're talking about that have not seen big big increases are those where population has not decreased you know somewhere like Vermont and Maine have got static populations or very low growth uh, whereas Arizona is enjoyed pretty strong growth in population year to year ever since the end of the second world war and although people have said well it's not as strong as it used to be it's still the sort of growth rate that many states would just love to have well let me dig one one step deeper here on this uh, construction you've mentioned this many times that since 2007 there has not been enough is the current pace of construction uh, you know closing that gap or is it still uh, keeping us even further behind in terms of population growth and the need for housing I guess is a better term it's starting to close the gap but there's still a significant gap um, 
If we look at Maricopa County, for example, the population growth between 2010 and 2015 is 9.2% over those years. And the increase in housing units is only 3.3%. So there's like a three to one ratio between people and, and housing growth. Uh, and so we've had to go from 2.3 people per housing unit to 2.5. That's not excessive, but it still means that we've got no, um, we've still got quite a lot of pressure. And the, the other problem that really um, makes it more difficult is a lot of those housing units are really at the higher end of the market, whereas a lot of the people that have come here want to buy homes or rent homes at the more affordable end of the market. So we've got a big mismatch between supply and demand in terms of the pricing. And that's probably as extreme as I've ever seen it. We've got um, real shortages under 200,000 or the rent under about 1,200 a month. But at the higher end, you know, rents over 3,000 or homes over a million, there's a lot, a lot of homes available and sellers are, and uh, landlords are having much more of a difficult time trying to uh, get those homes sold or occupied. Most of the construction I'm seeing recently is apartment buildings. Is that due to the bank still not lending to individuals? Uh, well, actually, the, the, we have seen a lot of apartment buildings. and they, That's really recovered back to the level of 2005-06. But in terms of total units, single-family construction, single-family um, is a bigger business. It's just spread more widely. Uh, so, for example, this year, I'm expecting to see about 20,000 single-family permits and maybe 7,500 uh, multifamily units, but principally apartments. So single-family is, uh, is a bigger business, but a lot of those homes are in the sort of far-flung far areas, so you don't necessarily see them driving around, whereas the the apartments are going up in Scottsdale and Tempe and Phoenix and Chandler, and so they tend to be more visible. Uh, I'd say in terms of lending, that what's changed there is that the big banks are just not very interested in mortgages compared with where they used to be. And a lot of lending is being done by the much smaller um, organizations that are a little bit uh, more nimble and le less risk-averse. The banks have become very risk-averse on lending for housing because I think they were beaten up so much by the government, by everybody else, for being um, responsible for the, or at least they claim to be responsible for the housing crash. Mm -hmm. um, th therefore, they, they tend to require a lot of um, documentation and have some fairly rigid underwriting rules, which means that loan production is nowhere near what it used to be. But if you're, um, if you've got a job and, uh, you've got a pretty good uh, ability to document your earnings, then it's not that difficult to get a, a loan these days. You just have to provide a lot more paperwork than you did, say, 10 years ago. Well, on this lending, though, that brings another point. We're at record low interest rates, so obviously people want to borrow. Uh, we're not seeing that you know, appetite by the banks, as you said, and as you said, they've been sued by the government an awful lot, so they're not going to be real anxious. Plus, we've got this new 35,000 or more pages of Dodd-Frank legislation, uh, and banks don't want to lend when interest rates are real low. They don't make you know much money at that. Uh, is it this combination that's uh, kind of holding mortgage rates? Uh, I mean, sorry, mortgage lending down until rates start to rise again. Well, mortgage lending is increasing slowly. It's just not bouncing back. Uh, we're still seeing about 18 percent 
of home purchases in the Phoenix area being done with all cash. But that's actually the lowest percentage for many years. So the lending is starting to come back. I would regard about 10% cash as as being normal and 90% loan based. So we've still got quite a way to go. Uh, You're absolutely right. You know, when interest rates are very low, and we are pretty close to the record low right now, um, the the big banks aren't going to make a lot of money out of mortgage lending. So they don't put a lot of time and resources into it. They've got plenty of other things. But a, a specialist mortgage company, there's nothing else other than mortgages. They're pretty active and, uh, and growing quite fast, and uh, they're providing a lot of fuel for the the current state of the market, which is, I think, pretty positive. Uh, the housing market for the first half of um, 2016 has done extremely well in terms of sales volumes, in terms of uh, stable growth in pricing. It's not um, dramatic, but it's healthy. Super. Last year, you mentioned boomerang buyers and the potentially large impact they could have on demand. Remind our listeners who the boomerang buyers are, and are you seeing indications they are returning? Well, the boomerang buyers, to define them, they're people who went through either a foreclosure or or a short sale during the big bust. So that was primarily between about 2000 and uh, beginning of 2008, and we really petered out at the end of uh, 2013. So there's a long period there where people went through tremendous upheaval. And uh, after a few years have passed, these people come back into the market because their their credit has been repaired. They're no longer in the penalty box. They can get a loan again. And so they are providing quite a significant part of the demand in some areas. Uh, One new home builder uh, reported that about 30% of the people coming to buy their homes were effectively boomerang buyers. So that's a pretty significant proportion. Wow. Yeah, no, that really is. How about the the other audience, which are the millennials? You know, we've debated, and you've made comments on this as well, that millennials aren't real anxious to become home buyers. They've gone through crises. Uh, you know, they want to be flexible. Jobs aren't as Are you seeing some evidence they are? Uh, starting to contribute to demand for housing and condos and townhouses and whatever else in this whole single-family market? Uh, Well, they are becoming more significant because they now outnumber baby boomers. Uh, For the first time this year, there are more millennials than baby boomers. Uh, We're not creating any more of either generation, but the baby boomers are now entering a period when they start to decline in number. Uh, What the millennials are doing differently from any previous generation is they're really putting off a lot of the life events so later in life, in particular having children. Uh, fertility rates for uh, people in their 20s are at record lows, and a lot of people are saying, well, maybe they'll catch up in their 30s. But uh, right now, um, the, the, the rate of, for which people get pregnant for the first time and the number of children per family has been declining uh, amazingly quickly. Uh, because of the priorities of the millennials. So that tends to mean, uh, you know, if you don't have children, generally you have a more tendency to change location. You don't sort of buy a house and settle down near to a school. Once people have got children in school, they tend not want to want to disrupt the schooling too much. So that means they put down roots for a bit longer. That All that is not happening. So millennials have tended to rent a lot more. They tended to move to one area to another to, to try and improve their career. So they're definitely not as significant 
in home buying as the baby boomers or Gen X were at the same age. But they are, there are just so many of them that they are still a very significant part of the home purchasing group. And that's starting to have effect on the type of homes that people want to buy. Uh, the millennial tastes are quite different from their parents as well. So uh, they don't necessarily need as much space. They're not so keen on large numbers of cars. Uh, so uh, they don't need as much garage space. They don't need as much kitchen space because they eat out so much. But they do like a lot of technology, and um, they want something to look modern. Uh, not many of them are wanting to buy homes that look like the sort of thing that their parents lived in. So that, you know, the sort of homes that appeal to millennials are quite different from the, the ones that used to appeal to the baby boomer. Awesome. Good information on that point. I appreciate that. Let's dig into the Phoenix market a little bit where you're obviously the go-to expert. I noticed the Cromford index is around 144 today, which is in the positive uh, or green zone. Remind our listeners what that tells us about the strength of the market. And most importantly, is that from the perspective of the homeowner or the home buyer? Well, the Cromford index is a measure of the balance between supply and demand. A hundred is completely balanced. When it goes over 100, it means there is more demand than supply. And uh, when it's below 100, it means the opposite. Obviously, when there is more demand than supply, uh, that tends to be good for sellers, good for prices uh, going up. Uh, and of course, that number is for the entire market. It, you know, it is still very local. And in particular, different things are happening at different price ranges. But overall, uh, the main driver of the situation at the moment is a continued lack of supply. We've only got um, 73% of what I would consider a normal supply for the time of year. So we're missing a lot of home listings, and those are the missing ones are really all under 250,000. Uh, demand is slightly ahead of normal. It's about 5% above normal, which is healthy, but it could be a lot more if lending was actually... You know, you know, if the spigot was turned and, and home loans were approved at a greater percentage. But 145 is still a pretty positive number. Uh, and to put that in perspective, you know, it varies a lot by city. Uh, a city like Avondale, which has got relatively low supply and affordable pricing, its market index is above 200. So, you know, it's wow. very tough to buy in Avondale <laughs> because there's just not much available and you're competing with a lot of other buyers. In contrast, in wow. Paradise Valley, it's well below 100. That really does explain some things about trying to buy, buy properties in that market, Mark. You guys, that, that, that explains yeah, our development. <laughs> yeah. Now, before well, we continue, if and especially if our listeners just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealthy Near Radio. I'm your host, Ron Narak, and we have our co-host, Margie, with us. On the archive, and if you miss prior shows, you can find them in the archive, which is Wealthy. DNA.us. Let's thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information, including providing us a co-host. Our guest is Michael Orr, founder of the Crawford Report, which is the best source for information about the housing market in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. We're providing a housing market update with his help, and that's what Michael and the Crawford Report are all about. If you just tuned in, you'll want to go back to the beginning of the show and after we finish, the same link will take you there. My producers will make it easy for you. Um, Michael, did you want to comment on Paradise Valley real quick? You started in. Yeah, I, I was going to use that as an example. Obviously, Paradise Valley is more, one of the more expensive parts of town, and there the Cromford Index is just below 80. So 
we have a lot more supply than we need for the number of buyers, and prices are tr- tending to go down. So you've got a big contrast there with uh, many parts of the West Valley appreciating into double digits, and other parts in the Northeast Valley uh, either static or declining in price. And so it's very difficult to describe the market in just a couple of sentences. Exactly. Uh, last year in May, you mentioned the average price was $132 a square foot. How much higher are they now? Uh, right now, we're at around 138 um, We did reach 142 in June. And we're now, because we're now into the hot months, we always see a bit of a decline in the uh, price per square foot during July, August, and September. And then it usually bounces back when the snowbirds come back. And it's not really because home values go down. It's because the sales mix changes. In the summer, there are very few uh, luxury home sales in the mix compared with normal. And so that tends to cause uh, maybe $4 a square foot decline in between May and September. Uh, But obviously, 138 is quite a bit ahead of 132 where we were last year. So overall, the appreciation is still quite positive. All right, and and the heat in Phoenix is probably uh, understandably understandably the reason I'm in Europe this week as opposed to in Phoenix. Uh, But going back to the Cromford Index for just a moment, and I apologize, I didn't hear that tail end on the lower ones. So, Margie, thanks for catching that. Again, I'm having this echo coming in, which which is a problem. But anyway, the Cromford Index components are telling us that uh, really, the tight supply is the key driver. It's not the high demand that's driving the prices upward and and, and kind of uh, heating up the market. That's right. The demand is pretty normal, just a little bit ahead of normal. And uh, considering how low interest rates are, you would think demand would be stronger. But interest rates are not really the key factor in the housing market, even though a lot of people on Wall Street seem to think they are. The real factor is uh, the loan approval rate. And if banks are not particularly excited about writing loans, then you don't get a lot of loan approvals, and that's what really controls effective demand. But the supply is a problem area, and the supply really is, we're not seeing any solution right now to the the problem that we don't have much supply at the affordable end. And by affordable, I mean below 200,000. You can still buy a new home at well below 200,000, but you've got to move a long way out from the center to do that. You know, in South Buckeye or in Maricopa or Casa Grande in Florence, you can still get uh, quite a nice new home for less than 200,000. But as soon as you get into the sort of, within the uh, freeways, uh, you're not gonna find a new home at that price and even the um, resales are pretty scarce. And uh, if one does come up, you know, you're talking about possibly dozens of different offers for it. So it's a pretty tough market for a buyer. Wow. Rental demand continues to be very strong and rents are rising. Is that a problem since wage growth is pretty flat? It's a big problem. Um, uh, Even though we're now seeing a little bit of wage growth, it's nowhere near the growth in rents. And uh, I was just taking a look yesterday at uh, what's happened to the rents reported on MLS. Uh, In the most recent month, the average rental rate was 85.1 cents per square foot per month. Now, if you're in California, that seems pretty cheap, particularly if you're in San Francisco. 
<laughs> but last year it was 81 cents, and uh, two years ago it was 75 cents, and the year before that, 69 cents. So, you know, we've seen a 22% rise in the average rent in just three years. And I don't think there's many people who've seen their earnings go up by 22% in three years. So the typical tenant now has a lot less to spend on things other than their housing. Uh, and that makes them feel like the economy is not doing well. Because what they've got left to spend is gone down rather than up. Obviously, it's great news for landlords. And anyone who owns real estate has uh, had a very good time over the last three uh, or even four years. But those who don't own real estate have been missing out uh, on that wealth. Wow. Now, on this topic, I want to dig one level deeper because of this affordable housing, which you've, you've you know, highlighted on this show a number of times before. I've seen a couple of developments uh, with small rental homes on very small lots that are obviously therefore more affordable. Uh, do you see any other signs that the shortage of affordable housing uh, will be addressed in the near future? Very few. I mean, you're correct. There are some uh, enterprising uh, people who want to be landlords who decide that it's hard to buy homes at that price, they can actually construct them. So they build new homes and immediately turn them into rentals that are affordable. Uh, but the number of people doing that and the number of houses involved is really quite tiny compared with the total population uh, in the Phoenix area. So it hasn't had a huge effect and we're still suffering from shortages. You know, each year we have something like 85, 90,000 increase in the population, and the vast majority of those people want affordable housing, not luxury housing. Uh, the, the, so the, the pressure is still very strong on uh, the low end to get yet more expensive because of the lack of supply. And so, you know, in places like El Mirage, Sun City, uh, South Glendale, Avondale, as I mentioned, there we're seeing appreciation rates there that are, um, in some cases, 18 or even 20 percent. Uh, admittedly, from pretty low numbers, but going up very fast, catching up with uh, the rest of the valley. Could could that really lead to something like mobile homes or manufactured homes kind of coming back into vogue where they start building those? They could do that a lot faster at a factory and then, you know, on a plot of land, they could put them up and, and, and get them uh, either rented or sold. It, that's certainly a possibility, but I haven't seen much evidence of uh, that market growing yet. Um, it's a pretty active market, uh, particularly in the East Valley and Mesa, for example, but it's not one where I'm seeing a lot of new mobile homes getting uh, introduced into the market. Hmm. Now, MBI Solutions Corp, our sponsor, contacts homeowners in foreclosure to try to buy their home and avoid that foreclosure. Uh, but they're finding in the data a very high percentage of homes that keep getting postponed. And after talking to the homeowner, they find out that it's, there's been a modification and everything's going fine, but the foreclosure never gets canceled. Is that skewing your numbers on the number of properties still out there in foreclosure? Well, no doubt it is, but the foreclosure numbers are very low now. Uh, anyway, you know, we've been through that period of extremely high record levels of foreclosure. We're now getting into uh, well below normal for foreclosure levels, particularly if you count new notices of trustee sales. So um, there are relatively few delinquent loans. The banks are not 
uh, necessarily chasing them up with uh, and, and trying to foreclose. They're trying to find a way to work things out. So the number of actual completed foreclosures is also going down quite fast. They'll never go away completely, but compared with, um, say, 2010, you know, we're down over 90% in foreclosure numbers. And it's not really a very significant part of the market anymore. Excellent. Okay. Three or four years ago, we saw several large investment funds buying residential properties all over Phoenix. Um, that tapered off after a couple of years. Do you have access to data as to where those investment funds are concentrating now? Well, they're really uh, – it lasted about 15 months, that period, and the big institutions ended up with about 13,000 rental homes. They're not really spending a lot of money buying new homes, certainly not in this area, and I'm not you – know, I don't have any access to information about where they are spending. I think they've basically spent most of the money they had, and they're focusing on managing those properties for maximum return now. So uh, they've done extremely well because the properties have appreciated fast and rents have increased and the um, uh, the occupancy rate is extremely high. There are very few vacancies. So those homes are rented out, producing income, and really it's been an outstanding investment for those investment funds and for all the mom and pop uh, investors who did similar things. Uh, I mean, between 2009 and 2012, there was really an amazing opportunity to buy homes at extremely low prices. And so most people who got into the landlording game have uh, been very pleased with the results. I am not seeing um, much change right now. There's not many more, not many acquisitions, and right now not many dispositions either. Every now and then, a block of homes is sold by one investor to another one. But there's nothing really coming back into the regular market to be sold to, um, you know, ordinary, ordinary people one at a time. Like, you know, that might help the supply situation. But, you know, when homes are occupied and paying increasing rent every month, I don't see a lot of motivation for landlords to sell off their homes. Fair point. Fair point. Let me go back to home building, which obviously is a sore point since they haven't been building enough. Uh, we talk about the three L's, uh, land, labor, and lending. Um, and as these new highways are being added, especially in the western suburbs, like the 303 loop or eventually the 202 loop extension, will that make more land accessible so that uh, additional single-family construction can happen? I don't think we're short of accessible land, we're short of affordable land. Um, there's quite a lot of land um, that in theory would be available for building, but the people who own it uh, want a lot of money for it. And um, they're not in a hurry to take less than full price. So there's a bit of a standoff, I would say, between the builders and the landowners that say, the builders say, at my current prices, I can't build homes on your land and make any profit. So you need to drop the price. And the landowners, by and large, are saying, well, you know, I'll just wait till your prices go up then, thanks. And so, wow. you know, that's one of the reasons why we're not having enough housing construction is the builders aren't going to build homes to, and lose money. They will just prefer to sit, sit on their hands and do nothing. Uh, we are uh, seeing other constraints, too, to how many homes can get constructed because we're pretty short of several of the skilled labor 
uh, areas that we need to construct homes. We don't have as many people as we would like to do framing or to do wood, uh, carpentry, concrete laying, drywalling, roofing, all of these skilled areas. We're pretty short of um, crews to do that. So there's a limit to how many homes we can get constructed just based on the labor force. When does a limited water supply become the fourth L to affect our housing here in Arizona? Well, I, I think it's always affected housing, but um, it it's going to become, over the next uh, 50 years, it's going to become more significant, I think, particularly if the, the climate gets drier and the reservoirs that we rely on get lower. I mean, nobody knows for sure how the climate's going to change, but the you know, last 10 years have not been particularly good. If you go out and look at Lake Mead and Lake Powell, they don't look anywhere. You know, they're at well below 50% full. I think um, that's going to affect agriculture first. Um, many people don't realize this, but building a housing development on top of uh, alfalfa fields actually uses less water than the alfalfa did. So um, I think what you're going to gradually see is less and less agriculture in central Arizona, but housing will continue as long as there is um, reasonable supply. There is reasonable supply when you develop on agricultural land because the plants had to get water. So it's almost a given that you'll be able to have enough water for the homes. But as you look towards the west, uh, most of that is uh, pristine desert with no agriculture and very little water supply. So our ability to, to spread ever westwards is limited, but our ability to spread towards the southeast, towards Tucson, is still pretty good because there's a lot of agriculture in that uh, area. So I, I'm expecting over the long term to see Tucson and Phoenix eventually join up. All right. Well, I think we just expanded the uh, L's for uh, new home building to four L's. So you heard it here first on the Wealthy Nate Radio yep. Show. And, Michael, let's remind our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about you and the Cromford Report. Well, the Cromford Report can be reached at uh, www.cromfordreport.com. And uh, there's plenty of links there to contact me. But the email address is mike at cromfordreport.com if you want to ask me a question. Okay, fair enough. Let me let me throw in one more before I, I let you uh, kind of close out for us. Um, you know, you freed up some time working for uh, ASU. Uh, can we expect Cromford Report to debut in Tucson or other markets in the U.S. Uh, sometime in the near future? Well, um, I know it sounds like I freed up some time, but I was working, <laughs> I was working at ASU. I was doing about a hundred hours a week, so by freeing up uh, ASU time, I'm. I'm now still working weekends, but uh, a little bit less than 100 hours. And as I'm turning 65 this year, I'm not really too excited about uh, expanding my working hours. However, um, and, I, and they're I, not making more baby boomers. I do remember that. Uh, that. They're not making any more baby boomers, no. Well, they're not making any more millennials. <laughs> Well, that's true too. Well, Michael, we've covered a lot of lot of aspects of the housing market update. And you're always you're always fun to have on. Good sense of humor as well as obviously very knowledgeable. Are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize? Sorry, I didn't catch the question. Oh, I was just going to say, are there any additional uh, factors or aspects of this housing market you would like to add or maybe oh. emphasize? Well, I think I referred briefly to, to the demographics. 
uh, being a thing that doesn't get talked about much, but that tends to have a slow but significant impact on housing. And the thing that's really startling when you look at the Census Bureau numbers for Maricopa is the difference in growth in population by age group. Now, I said Maricopa had grown by 9%, but the growth for people over 65 is actually 28%. And for people under five is minus 4%. So what we're doing is we're getting a lot more retirees, but we're not producing very many babies. And I think that could have quite a significant impact on housing and on other aspects. You know, with 4% drop in the under fives, it means future uh, school enrollments will be down rather than up, even though the population is up. And so there's a changing mix in Maricopa's population, very much skewed towards the aged. And that has an effect uh, on the sort of homes that people need. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the other thing, consequence of that is when people go from the sort of working population into the 65 plus area, they're often changing their lifestyle in many ways and changing the home they want to live in. And we're seeing a lot of baby boomers downsize right now. So that is, um, you know, seeing them move out of a large home, maybe out there with a great mountain view and next to a golf course, coming back into the city to a luxury condo or, um, you know, maybe even renting multiple places instead of owning one. So it's, uh, there's a lot of different decisions being taken that's making the next few years quite interesting, driven by these sort of changes in lifestyle, which are they're hard things to, to, to capture by numbers, but they do have a significant effect on the market. And they are predictable. Uh, very, very good points. I mean, that, that probably, uh, you know, I just learned a lot that I need to, to go and be factoring into longer term plans as well. Uh, uh-huh. Because it looks like over 55 housings become more important. Yeah, and particularly affordable over uh, 55 right. housing. So you look at places like Sun City, Sun City West, that have been around for quite some time, but are relatively inexpensive compared with some of the uh, 55 plus uh, units that are being built. They are appreciating very fast. But the higher end of the uh, baby boomer homes is really not doing that great because people are downsizing from the, you know, maybe 4,000 square foot to 2,000, 2,500 square foot. Wow, powerful stuff. As always, really appreciate you having having you on, uh, Michael, and you're t- taking the time to join us. Uh, hopefully, you're, you know, you'll free up a little bit of time, spend more time with the family, and also uh, be able to continue to join us uh, from time to time. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Well, Margie, what do you think? You and your fellow real estate investors gained some new insights today? Very much so. So I guess I guess the only thing that better would be if we had uh, Michael on for two hours. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh, I still had a pile of questions I would love to ask him, but he did address one which is great, which is the over five, 55 market and the in the whole, you know, which which one needs to grow more. Uh, that really does change my thinking. Uh, I, you know, the affordable is clearly you know, being accentuated. We've got to find some solutions there. But anyway, I thought that was really big. Uh, And certainly for those investors who've been afraid to step back into real estate, especially into the housing market, should feel more comfortable. Or maybe they'll feel like they missed the biggest moves in the market already. As as, uh, Michael said, people that did it in 2009 to 2012 really have done very well. 
But I also need to remind you, for those of us who focus on asset-based lending, which is what our series is about, we're not making money through appreciation in real estate. We're getting monthly mortgage payments as long as the borrowers are able to earn money on each property we get paid. So the only thing we really need to worry about is an upcoming decline, especially a significant decline in values. That's when borrowers default. When they default, then we as the lender become the property owner and cash flow or appreciation then become paramount. And that's the beauty of this asset-based lending. The investor is secured by an asset, which is the case, in this case, of course, we're talking about residential real estate uh, being a house, a condo, townhouse, or a manufactured home. And, and by the way, I will now differentiate between manufactured homes with a plot of land from mobile homes, since mobile homes fit the category of automobile and vehicle homes. Now, they are still secured by an asset, but that asset could be heading down the highway at 50 miles per hour when you uh, file for that repossession. Well, Margie, this was your first experience uh, as co-host, so I'm sure you learned a few things hosting the show and juggling a few things at a time. Uh, what are one or two key takeaways you took from uh, Michael's discussion today? Well, definitely um, future growth possibilities in the Valley, uh, since we um, have such a shortage in housing supply at this time. An interesting take on the um, financing um, and our lack of supply. Yeah, no, very good. And, there, you know, obviously a lot of value in all this stuff, but I was just curious what, what, what impacted, you know, you, what, what kind of grabbed you first. So perfect. Thank you. In many of our shows, we share different uh, ways of investing, diversify your portfolio beyond stocks and bonds and real estate and real estate backed mortgage loans in essence are a great example. I'm certainly not worried about a housing bubble anytime soon. Well, different story in the million plus market. Maybe there are too many of those. And as a subscriber or as both of us being subscribers to the offer report, I know we'll have plenty of warning before the housing market turns negative. So if the housing market does turn negative, that, by the way, doesn't mean us. mean we'll go ahead and sell all our real estate and mortgage bank loans. But we'll be far more cautious on future investments. I want to have some dry powder to provide those mortgage loans to investors if prices did go lower. Now, in the meantime, remember, one of the best ways to build your wealth and your portfolio, tune into the Wealth DNA radio show every second and fourth Monday of the month. Regular listeners know our objective is to share the fundamentals of investing and provide great ideas for building and protecting your wealth and to help you and one million other people become millionaires. Today's show, it just might be... Well, the one that helps a few listeners become millionaires. And I certainly hope Mark Twain's quote helped you see why fear of investing costs portfolio performance. And as I said, I've been guilty too. I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. And there's nothing like getting some objective and accurate information as we did from Michael to help us stop worrying about the unknown. If you missed part of today's show, you want to recommend it to some friends, link in the announcement that you've got is the same that will take you to the archive version. And of course, you'll always find the full list of past shows there on www.wealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area for helping us put together this show. They specialize in asset-based lending using residential properties as assets. And uh, thanks, Margie, for joining us and uh, helping out. Fortunately, Thank I did you. not drop off, but um, you know it's great having you, and I'm sure we're going to do this again if you're you're you know willing to. I'd love to. The next Wealth DNA Radio Show, second Monday of August.
Can you believe it's August already? Boy. Monday, August 8th, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same place, same time. We'll be talking about a variety of forms of asset-based lending with Robert Zadek. He is a lawyer, a radio show host, and an expert on asset-based lending. He gets to see asset-based lending from a perspective. I won't tell you what it is. Just be sure to join us. The full lineup of guests and top on wealthdna.us. You'll find the archive of past shows there, too. I should add, for the next show, I will be back in the Phoenix area. Now, if you have some comments or questions about this show or others, you haven't received my emails reminding you of the show, send an email to ron at wealthdna.us or follow The Ronald, all one word, on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and thinking about how you can profit from asset-based lending in real estate. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.